when you're being asked to be something that you've never been before and you're being held accountable for how well you are, that thing that you are being called to be that you've never been before. It's like, it's almost like a catch 22. I don't know how to do this well, but I'm going to be held accountable if I don't do it well. Uh, And wrestling through that and trying to figure out, well, how do I position myself to do this well? Hello and welcome to the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. I'm your host, Nick McGowan. Today on the show, I have Anthony Dix. Anthony, how are you doing today, man? I am outstanding, Nick. Thank you so very much for asking. Uh, how are you? I'm great. Yeah, man, I'm excited for you to be on. We were uh, Thank you. We were shooting the breeze a bit before we got started. And I do that with everybody. I like to talk and kind of get into, you know, just shooting the breeze. But there are some mm-hmm. conversations where I'm like, all right, we should just hit record and start on with this thing the other times where we get in the conversation i'm like ah we should have hit record we should have started this so i think we're gonna have a great conversation um i you know why don't we do this why don't you just get us started tell us what you do for a living and what's one thing that most people don't know about you that's maybe a little odd or bizarre well the first question is much easier to answer than the second so i am the senior leadership consultant for 180 management group it is a boutique management consulting firm i am responsible for the leadership portion of that uh, being a leadership coach consultant trainer speaker all of that good old stuff now when it comes to the second question um i'm i have been raised um in public almost my dad is a preacher okay right and so uh, and I, I am, I'm a preacher. I'm, a, I'm, a, I serve currently as a pastor and a whole host of other things uh, in that regard outside of the the secular market space. So I'm so used to people knowing so much about me. So, huh. uh, what would people not know about me in maybe both contexts? I don't because I don't got older now. Um, I almost flunked out of college. Whoa. Go on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'd be right. Um, so that's something that some people, you know, if they get a chance to know me a little bit, I'm not slow, I'm not obtuse, but I, 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 when I say slow, I don't mean, you know, how to, hopefully they don't police too many terms on it, but you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah, I, I, I went through a, an identity crisis because of the call to preach. So Jesus almost made me flunk out of college. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, we're a few minutes in. You're already blaming Jesus. This will be good. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. It was really, it was really me. But wrestling with all of that and what my future would be, you know, Jesus and you know a girl maybe helped me, you know, choose something other than going to class. Huh. Well, typically, if somebody says I almost flunked out of college, it's like, all right, well, what drugs were you hooked on, or what girl were you chasing, or how much were you drinking? Or why yep. were you forced to go to that school when you should have gone to some other yep. school? Um, mm-hmm. So it's interesting for you to bring that up and go, well, I was called to do something else. And callings are deeply important to me. I know mm-hmm. there's a deep purpose that we all have. And a lot of people have a hard time finding it or figuring mm-hmm. out what they're supposed to do. That's and true. sometimes it can change throughout the course of life. Like your calling right now may look a little different than it does in two, three years. It may look different mm-hmm. in 10 years. I mean, I told you before we started recording that I played in church bands for 10 years. I was mm-hmm. in church Wednesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays and Sundays mm-hmm. and doing all these things. And at this point, I haven't gone to church in, I don't know, seven, eight years, something like that. But mm-hmm. I have a deeper relationship with God. 
than I did even mm-hmm. back then. My calling has mm-hmm. changed a bit more and mm-hmm. being able to do those things. So talk to us a bit about what that looked like and really how you managed your mindset through that and what you thought as you were kind of being torn from either side. Because if you're being called to something much larger, it doesn't matter what you think and what you want to do. You're being called to something much larger. Right. See, that's the thing. Being called to something larger when you're in this age and stage where you think you're as big as you get. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you, you, at, in college, you don't have a lot of foresight as to, you know, who am I going to be in the future? You have some maybe an inkling, but you don't really have all of that stuff worked out. And when you couple the stage in which you begin to sense a call with the the age that you are just kind of, it just, it just muddies the water, Nick. It just, yeah. it just muddies the water. And so for me, I just, I was going through an identity crisis. This is really the long and short of it. God was asking me to be something I had never been before. <laughs> and so when you're being asked to be something that you've never been before and you're being held accountable for how well you are, that thing that you are being called to be that you've never been before. It's like, it's almost like a catch 22. Yeah. I don't know how to do this well. But I'm going to be held accountable if I don't do it well. Uh, And wrestling through that and trying to figure out, well, how do I position myself to do this well? Ultimately, you know, I failed at a whole host of other things. (laughs) So, yeah, I I hope that answers your question. But in maturity, (laughs) while you're being asked to evolve into a vision you didn't have for yourself. Yeah. um, That that, that leads to a lot of stupid decisions. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. I, I want to go down this path a bit because honestly, I'm really happy that this is how this has started. We're five minutes into this and we're already onto this. The calling in life and your purpose mm-hmm. is so deeply ingrained, I think, in all of us. But we get so used to doing the things that we feel like we should be doing. Like you right. should be in college to be able to get a job, to then mm-hmm. have a career and be mm-hmm. in that career where you can get a pension and you can retire mm-hmm. and you can do all these things. And mm-hmm. it's crazy to me to think about how, I don't know, maybe that was a 20, 30 year span where that was actually the case. But yeah. those people had kids and they hated themselves. They hated right. the job that they were in for 40 years. And they mm-hmm. they then tried to survive off of 40% of what they couldn't live on anyway. And right. they're just in this tough spot. And so many people will go through midlife or later in life crisis trying to figure out how do I do what I want to do? And they've just calloused mm-hmm. over what their purpose and their calling was. But then mm-hmm. again, as a 20 year old kid or 22 year old kid, what the hell? You don't know anything. anything. Oh my God. Like, but we all thought we knew everything in the world. I remember being 22 right. and having a consultant company and flying all over the place <laughs> and doing all these things. And I looked back a few years later and was like, what was wrong with me? Yeah, why do people pay me money? What is wrong with them? I mean, I taught some good things, but there was, I had such an ego that all of us in our early 20s do. But when you have that call to do something different, that's there. So I want to, I want us to get into that because I feel like there are people that listen to this show that are like, look, I'm stuck in this tough job. I'm stuck in this relationship. I'm stuck in this whatever. They're stuck Mm -hmm. because they don't know how to really Mm -hmm. get out of it to be able to do the thing Mm -hmm. that they feel called to do. And if they do, they are terrified because they're like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know if I'm going to be any good at it. The fear, the negative self-talk and just all the BS comes up and starts to run through your mind. 
then hold you back where you and I both know that sometimes you just got to start the damn thing. Just start mm-hmm. walking, start moving mm-hmm. along. So what did that look like for you as you started to piece together? Like, I don't know how to do this, but all right, dude, let's do it. Well, I don't know how to uh, how to encapsulate uh, like a 20 plus year journey <laughs> in, in a short amount of time. We've got a little bit of time. You stumble along the way. <laughs> yeah. Like, like a, let's say a child learning how to walk. Right there, there's a, a a time where a child learning how to walk has to learn how to walk consciously. They have to force themselves yeah. to put one foot in front of the other, and then you know after stumbling and falling and all the rest of that stuff, they eventually they they walk and then it becomes subconscious and not necessarily conscious. This is the change of this is the challenge about about learning how to become something when you're of age. That is, when you're a baby, people celebrate your fall. Mm. To encourage you to get back up again. So when when you, when a baby is trying to walk and they're doing it consciously and like ah boom, you say oh yeah. So you you are celebrating their fall to encourage them to get back up. After you about nine, <laughs> people stop doing that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You fall and then they 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 may denigrate you. They don't celebrate you in such a way. where I know you were trying. Come on, get back up again. And so stumbling along the way, learning that. I may have known the what of my call, but not the why of it. And still, you know, with that trepidation, not being hesitant to execute the what, even though I have a misunderstanding of the why. I know what you asked me to do. I I know what you told me to do. I know what you're calling me to do, but I don't really understand the why. And that's where the mistakes are made because I don't know. I don't know the reason for of my purpose I, I don't know the why of my person and i don't you know want to sound like simon Sinek or anything like that but i don't know if you can always start with why yeah you might get the why along the way as you as you're alluding to like you just keep putting one step in front of the other you just keep making the effort you just keep trying keep trying and then eventually the why is unlocked and you can look back and say now i understand why i had to learn what i learned in college mm-hmm in order for me to do what I'm doing now. It didn't make sense to me then. It does make sense to me now. As you kind of alluded to in your example of being a 22-year-old consultant with people paying you, which is the other side of the challenge. Like when you think you're good at something and then people pay you money and kind of confirm that you are, Mm -hmm. it can obliviate your your ego. Like it just blows up even more. And then now you're a rich fool. (laughs) (laughs) What you're paying you for, rich fool is wisdom. And so as, as you move along that that time and that span and you look back, that's when the understanding comes. It, it comes eventually, not necessarily immediately. Hmm. You just have to have the courage to keep doing the what until you figure out the why. Yeah, and that's a great point. Even with the Simon Sinek book, Start With Why, got that in my sea of books. And I've read through some of that. I, I don't think I've actually finished that book, but I've watched a lot of different Simon Sinek stuff. I really enjoy mm-hmm. Simon. But yeah, I think that's a great example of where people can take things out of context or mm-hmm. you can selectively pick how you want that to relate to your life. Where yep. somebody might say, well, I have to start with why or I can't start. You mm-hmm. and I are like, sometimes mm-hmm. I don't understand why, but I'm just going to keep doing the thing because intuitively I feel like I need to go do this. And then the why right. shows itself and it becomes clear as you put the body of work together. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of stuff that just like going to college, people are told you should do this. This is how life right. should be. And you go, all right, cool. Right. I'll do this. And you kind of move along. And 
I never went to college. I think I ended up in a couple college classes because I was at some party the night before. I was like, yeah, what the hell? I'll go to a class, see what this is like. Um, but <laughs> never actually going to school because I remember having a conversation with a counselor. It was like, well, you're an art kid. We get into music school, but you're not going to make any money. Or we get you in art school, but you're not going to make any money. Or we can get you to some other school where you can get a career. And I was like, no, screw this. I want to go do the things that I want to do. But right. I was told you should do these things. And there was shame that came along with it. So even with that start with why, having that start is the crucial point to it. Like there have been a lot of people that have been on the show that have talked about just keep moving. Just keep going. Just Right. Keep walking right. on the thing. Just like Nemo. Just keep, uh, not who was it? Just keep swimming. Just yeah. keep swimming. Just keep swimming, swimming. Yeah. Dory. That was Dory, yeah. Dory. It was still the right movie. Um, <laughs> I was in the ballpark. Yeah. You were in the Pixar park, I guess. Um, but on your path, knowing that your dad was already called to do that, and mm-hmm. then you were feeling some of that. I've talked to different PKs that are like, you know, I was, I was raised this way. And as a pastor's kid, I assumed that I was going to go this path. And then some of them go yeah. kind of crazy, almost like the complete yeah. opposite yeah. side of it, or like yeah. a little bit of a rum spring in a sense. They're like, yeah. I understand that. I want to go do all the hard mm-hmm. drugs and I'll be back. Um, mm-hmm. and then there are other people that kind of fight with it. So did you see that coming growing up, how you grew up and then, or what? So there was, there were several different stages to, to that part of my development. And that was when I, you know, I was born into a house. My dad was already leading a church. So I got to see him preach and all the rest of that stuff. And as a child, of course, you emulate what you see. Yeah. Right. So there's some imitation there, but there's no real, I didn't have any sense of anything then. And then, you know, as a pastor's kid, you put it as a male, you put into positions where you have to speak. And so being a speaker and orator, being on stage, stuff like that, I was put there, not voluntarily. I was voluntold. Yeah. This is what you're going to do. And then experience some success there. And then by the time I got to like eight years old, I was doing pretty good with public speaking and stuff like that. But then I got stage fright. So I avoided the stage for a good little while. And I, I, I didn't like being on stage at all. It made me nervous. And then when I went to basic training uh, for the United States Army Reserve in Fort Lindenwood, uh, not Fort Lindenwood, it was in Fort Knox, Kentucky. That's where my basic training was. My AIT was in Fort Lindenwood. I, um, I began to hear a get this sense and feeling again because I had avoided it. I told myself, I don't want to be what my daddy is. Huh. They don't make no money. <laughs> I don't want to be what my daddy is. So <laughs> famous last words, right? I never. Um, and then eventually, of course, God does what he does. And I, I assume, assume that responsibility to preach. And then eventually, of course, to pass in a whole host of other things. And the thing that I appreciate, one of the things I appreciate about my daddy is not, and not, not enough people do this. When we were growing up, we wanted to be grown, right? Mm-hmm. And so grown becomes a static state where after, once I'm grown, I, I'm going to have answers. My parents ain't be able to tell me nothing. They, they talk about them being grown. That's why they know how to make these decisions. Like, all right, now I, I'm, I'm old enough. I'm grown. Well, I realized that being grown is not static. Being grown is dynamic and you have to give yourself space to continue to evolve. You got to continue to evolve. And one of the things my dad gave from gave to me was he gave me the space to evolve hmm. to even if we're in the same lane to not be what he is. And I had to learn to give that to my children. 
I give you a classic example. You said that when you were being uh, guided or counseled about college, they said, well, you, you're the arts, arts guy, right? You, you, you're not going to make any money. You, you can pursue the arts thing, but you're not going to make any money, right? You can pursue the arts. Well, did those guidance counselors know that YouTube was coming? Nope. Did they know that the iPhone and the iPod was coming? Because right about now, if I'm not mistaken, the study shows the new billionaires and millionaires on the planet all in content creation. That's kind of artsy. Mm-hmm. So maybe the arts guy is the one that's going to be making money and not the people who are choosing all of these rigid careers. But they didn't have the insight to see that. But if they created a lane where they say, well, let's just see how Nick evolves. Let's just see how Anthony evolves. And that's one of the gifts my dad gave me, just giving me the space to evolve. Now, it didn't always feel like it was a lot of space. Like there was some hard guardrails. <laughs> but there was there was still a lane where it said just give yourself the freedom to become something that you may not have saw yourself as mm-hmm. and you might actually like who you become. So do you find yourself doing that with your kids now? Being able to still have some sort of uh guardrails, but like softer guardrails and letting them just move about freely? Yeah, I I, I try to. I, I can't say that I'm I'm the best at it. I have help, like my wife helps me. I give, it, I give an example. She did this early on in our marriage. When I when we got married, I was trying to teach my son how to take out the trash. Guess how I was teaching him how to take out, take out the trash? The same way my daddy taught me. Yeah. Right? I knew the what of my daddy teaching me how to take out trash. I didn't understand the why. So when my son was able to do it, I was trying to teach him how to do it. My wife said, let him figure out how to do it on his own. Let's just see how he do it. He does it. I was trying to hold him accountable like, that ain't how you do it. You do it like this. That ain't how you do it. You do it like this. The trash ain't taken out till it's done like this. And when she encouraged me to give him space to evolve, I backed off some and was impressed that he brought some things to the table about taking out the trash that I would have never thought of. So me being rigid was getting in the way of his creativity. It was getting in the way of his ability to evolve. And so I try to maintain that posture. I'm not by no means the perfect father, by no means the perfect parent, but I try to maintain that posture. And it's not easy because there's some decisions that um, uh, your child or any child will make for the parents. It's like, I wouldn't do it that way. But in that regard, you might, I might be being so short-sighted. Yeah. I may not be able to see how them doing something while they're in school, you're taking the classes, but you're also doing graphic design. You're taking the classes, but you're also vlogging, uh, uh, doing videography. I may not see how that unfolds for them in the future. And they blossom and become the great butterfly they're supposed to be because they can't become the butterfly they're supposed to be in a cocoon I make for them. Hmm. So I got to let them, I got to give them space to evolve. Yeah, it's got to be tough. It, it has to be tough. I don't have any kids. Yeah. <clears throat> I was raised with a brother and a sister and mm. we were all a bit different. Um, again, I was kind of the artsy kid. My brother took after my dad and my sister has kind of gone the education route since. Um, but everything was raised a bit differently, but we are told by our parents, just like you probably like, especially with your son, tell him this is how you do the trash because this, what makes the most darn sense. This is how you do this thing. This is what I've understand to do it. So if I do it and I think I'm intelligent, you should do the exact same thing. But being able to have that freedom within yourself to go, you know what? Let them figure it out. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it takes somebody outside of you who loves you. It can kind of slap you in the back of the head and be like, just let him take the trash out on his own. Like, okay. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's, it wasn't a slap. 
per se. Sure. But, you know, it was strong encouragement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're not promoting domestic violence here. Do not slap your spouse, even if it's it take the trash out. <laughs> um, but that, that thought of we all do it. We all have that. Well, I figured this thing out. This makes sense to me. So mm-hmm. I think somebody else should. But we do need to take into account personality types, yep. history and context, and of course, yep. trauma. So yeah. assuming let's let's take your child out of the picture. Let's talk about the people that you work with from a management perspective. Mm-hmm. There are people mm-hmm. that have traumas, even just within different companies they've worked for, bosses mm-hmm. they've had, let alone mm-hmm. their own personal traumas from being a four-year-old kid that they learned, oh, to be safe, I need to do this thing. So when you help people and give them kind of that flexibility to learn on their own while you're still being hired to give them wisdom and training and instruction, how -hmm. do you also then take into account their traumas, their personality type and and the context of that person? Well, there's some practical ways in which you can take into account their personality type through certain assessments like like the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs. I personally ascribe to to the DISC from a professional perspective. So you can do those things there. Empathy is a big deal. So really taking taking into account how, what factors would I want someone in my position to consider Hmm. if, if they were, were coaching me. Mm Right. Um, There is there is magic in our uniqueness. And whenever we stop looking at each other for our uniqueness, we really can't celebrate who that person is. You are human in general, but you're Nick in particular. Mm -hmm. And there's some particular things about Nick. There's some particular things about Anthony that that they bring to the table that are unique assets to the world in which they live. Some of those things are trauma, but if anybody has survived trauma, no one, I don't think that, that anyone who is, is, is functional in, in any regard as, as a professional, as a human, just as a person who has not developed mechanisms to overcome trauma, not just to cope with it. Like there's some people who have trauma and they are coping with it, but those are particular traumas that probably need outside help, but there are other things that they've experienced from a traumatic perspective that they have developed systems to overcome. Now, everybody, what I cope with, you may have overcome and what you cope with, I may have overcome, but we've got mechanisms to overcome. The question is how do we employ them to continue to bring out the best in us? Mm -hmm. And so really having conversations to investigate those lanes and hopefully an ear to hear where that trauma may have come from, because I, I think one of the things that you shared that was so helpful, home may be one of the first places you experience trauma, but it's not the only. Yep. And so because people spend so much time at work, there are things that you can experience at work that are traumatic too, that cause you to feel like you're inadequate, that cause you to feel like you are invisible or insignificant that causes you to wrestle with a lack of confidence or causes you to cope in certain ways where you seek to dominate conversations instead of being a little bit more relaxed, where you hold back your feedback because somebody told you that when you talk, you never make sense. Those things can happen at work and have a very strong effect on someone's psyche to where it's traumatic. And when we're having conversations for leadership consulting and coaching, we investigate those lanes subtly and provide solutions so that they can 
employ what they already have. Like you already got it in you to overcome trauma. How have you overcome it in the past? Hmm. Well, why won't that system work with this particular trauma? Let's try it hmm. and kind of investigate it and see where it goes. That's an interesting thing. We do figure out ways to either cope or ways to overcome uh, mm-hmm. or ways to get through it. Um, I really think it, a lot of it can tie into our overall winning strategy that you figured mm-hmm. out at one point as a little kid, like this is the way that I win. This is the way mm-hmm. that I stay safe. This is how mm-hmm. I am not abandoned. Like my core wound mm-hmm. is straight up abandonment and not being mm-hmm. loved. And I know that mm-hmm. came from being a little kid. And that still translates into even times with my business partner and my girlfriend where we'll talk through things. And I'm like, this directly ties to my core wound. This is how I feel with yeah. this. And it yeah. takes the self-awareness to be able to see that. But it also takes mm-hmm. us going through those things to understand that sometimes we set up mechanisms and situations for ourselves to actually push us deeper into a winning strategy instead of going, mm-hmm. hold up a second. Why mm-hmm. am I actually feeling this and how do I do something with it? So the right. fact that you look into these subtly, I can understand like we don't want to just straight up say, look, your trauma from when you were five years old <laughs> is affecting everything you're right. doing right now. And the reason right. why you're stopping yourself, that might be a bit much right. for some people. Some people might mm-hmm. be like, thank you, Anthony. I appreciate that. How do I fix this? It's right. been it's 40 years. Will pay you more directly. No, exactly. <laughs> um, but being able to understand that is a crucial component. At least I, un- I understand it to be that way where you have to know what those things are and how they relate to either your winning strategy or something that mm-hmm. actually ties directly to you. So do you get into that within your coaching, within leadership management? Yeah, of course. And again, as you said, we kind of do it subtly. We, mm. we can introduce concepts. One of the one of the things about people is when they feel safe enough, they'll tell you just about anything you need to know mm-hmm. to help them grow if you're listening to it. Uh, listening to how people talk about their family, listen to how people talk about their experiences and how they process it. When you have an idea of what a healthier leader sounds like, you can hear some yeah. of the unhealthy things, the trauma, and you can begin to uh, guide conversations, interject certain things to keep them exploring in such a way where it's healthy, like you said, so they can develop their own winning strategy. Most of the times when people overcome, they overcome usually with an answer or a strategy they reach themselves. Because if I give you the strategy, then you may not be equipped to apply the strategy because it's mine. It's like if, if let's say you got two athletes and you want both of them to score. Well, if you give a a baseball player, the objective to score, he's going to use a baseball bat. You give a basketball player, the objective to score, he's going to use a basketball football player is going to use a football. So all of them want to score in their respective games, but they have different tools to go about doing it. And if I, If my primary tool is basketball, if I'm talking to someone whose primary tool is baseball, I can't give you my winning strategy because it won't work for the game you're playing. So if we can just talk about the game enough or talk about winning enough, you can develop your own strategy to do that. And there are one of the beautiful things about what I do is being able to see breakthrough in the midst of a conversation. Right. Breakthrough that I can't take credit for but breakthrough that I do get the privilege to see because we've just had great conversations where really the environment, the person felt safe enough, even as an executive, one of the things that, you know, leaders don't often have context where they can bring down their defenses. 
because so many times people are parsing their words, trying to uh, figure out what their agendas are, what their motives are, and all that. They don't really have a safe space where they can talk freely without judgment of any type. Sure. And uh, the, the coaching mechanism, the consulting mechanisms uh, really provide context to have those conversations so that they can bring down those defenses and really develop strategies to help them, as you said, win and move forward. Because that's really what it's all about. And when they can come up with those strategies on their own, it's gold. Sure. It's real gold. Yeah, you then own it because you've mm-hmm. been able to piece it together. It's almost just like helping exactly. somebody get to the point where they go, oh, I see how this works because they piece exactly. those things together. For the most part, exactly. the, the winning strategy, it's interesting. When I first learned about that, I thought of it in a sense of like, oh, this is how somebody wins. This is like a positive thing. But in all reality, that winning strategy is kind of a negative thing because it's Mm. how you've tried to win in the world to be safe or how you've tried to do these things to make sure that you're okay in your little piece Mm -hmm. of the world and understanding how you do those things. And so from a leadership perspective, especially management, there are a lot of managers that are like, well, I was taught by this manager or this manager or this manager, you do these things. But if you don't take into account the traumas of your employees, the day and age and the stuff mm-hmm. that's happening, then you can't understand that. You hit on something major that I think a lot of people just talk about as like a nice buzzword. It's empathy and being empathetic yeah. and understanding and trying to understand from that perspective. Now, you talked mm-hmm. about the disc assessment, the Enneagram, things of that sort. You know, I yeah. I know that I'm I'm a major four three when it comes to uh, the Enneagram. So I'm super feely and emotional and all of that. Um, and I've dealt with different sixes at certain times that fours and sixes Mm -hmm. are like oil and water and we just don't get along at all. But understanding those things can help us then have those deeper conversations. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. how do you help people understand that even if they're having a tough time, not even within themselves, but with their employees or their upper management, how do you help them understand how to look at those things and make those quick decisions where you can then say, all right, this is what this person's thinking. And I have other questions to be able to find out some more information about it. Yeah, that's the method to the madness. When you people learn uh, from doing or learn from experiencing, not necessarily experience as in past performance, things of that nature, but there are some experiences you can have where you can learn from those experiences. Uh, and so in, in management, when you're talking to leaders, the way you guide them through the resolution of the conflict can often model ways that empower them to work through the content as well because they remember what it felt like to reach the aha. They remember what it felt like to say, oh, that's the strategy. How did he do that? What kind of questions? Did so that kind of reflection is, is critical. Um, and really, the, the one of the things that I just think is just super duper important because you laid out so many different things about how you take these factors into account when you're leading and managing someone about personality and trauma and all the rest of that stuff. What you believe about yourself is important to understand if you're ever going to lead others mm-hmm. on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. If I'm high strung and I believe a, a whole lot about what I can produce, right? If I believe that, then I need to have a healthy perspective of that because if I lead people based on how I feel about myself, I feel like I can do it, then I'm going to tell you, you can do it. Mm-hmm. When, as my wife told me, sometimes 
sometimes you're asking people to do things that they just can't do. <laughs> right? It's like uh, uh, you might you you are in uh, New Mexico, right? And so you said that's a few hours from from Colorado, and I know Colorado football is a big thing um, lately, and so. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> They say Deion Sanders is one of the coaches who is great at coaching, even though he was a great player, Mm -hmm. because most great players aren't great coaches. Why? Because they're asking the kids to produce what they did when the kids may not have that capacity. So when you when you think you have a whole lot of capacity, if you're not careful, you can misjudge the capacity of others and and be a burden to them because you're asking them to do things that they're just not capable of doing. Mm. That's one end of the spectrum. Yeah. The other end is you don't think enough of yourself. And because you don't think enough of yourself, you want more for other people than you want for yourself. But that's not healthy either. So you got to have that healthy perspective. And when you reflect on your self perspective, you say, you know what? The same grace I give myself is the same grace and space I need to give somebody else. If you remember what it felt like being misunderstood for something you said, mm-hmm. it helps you when you misunderstand what somebody else said. And so giving people the tools to have that kind of self-reflection, slow down and ask those types of questions, I think are empowering, especially when it comes to resolving a certain amount of conflict and really just leading at the, their best self. Yeah, great points, especially being able to understand I've been through this before, so let me help somebody. Mm. I think there's also, not to throw a monkey wrench in the middle of it, but I guess I'm about to. There's also the times where you can lead from a perspective, sort of like what we talked about before, of like, well, I believe this to be true, so you should do it like this. My personality type and my traumas and my context Mm. and all of my wisdom and experience have led me to this thing. So then they force from that angle. And instead of literally understanding that you have a different human in front of you to be able to work with that human and not just Mm -hmm. go with that angle. And I find that that's really tough. Like I, I've seen so many different coaches that are just coaches, coaches and coaches and coaches, coach and coach, 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 coach. It's like, how did you, how did you get started? When did you get started? They're like, Oh, a few months Mm -hmm. ago because I was bored because the pandemic hit or whatever. And it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. do you have anything you've actually been through? And there are certain people like I, I was a reluctant coach, Like I ended up being a coach for people because they were like, can you help me with this? Can I pay you for these things? I'm like, yeah, because I've been through a lot of shit and stuff that's actually Mm -hmm. helped me get to the point, but I've had to work through it. But one of the things that I've struggled with is what I'm talking about, where I've, I've said, well, from my perspective, it's this. And Mm -hmm. I had to understand and get kind of slapped in the face a few different times of like, I'm preaching about what has worked for me instead of understanding Mm -hmm. what is going on with the organism in front of me. And how they actually relate to these things, which I right. think it's back to the empathy like you talked about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really what you believe about you yeah. and making sure that matches what you believe about people. Mm. Right. Because the same agency you had to come to the answers that you are touting are the best answers for this particular situation. Somebody else has that capacity. Mm -hmm. If I've got the capacity and agency to come up with solutions, then the person I'm in front of has the capacity and the agency to come up with those solutions. If I don't like when someone gets amid or amongst up my creative process, then I'm not going to 
get in the way of their creative process. Because in order for it really to work for us both, if we're in this thing together, they have to reach certain conclusions on their own. Uh, I've seen over and over and over again where you give someone the answer, either they don't apply it or they don't commit to it even after they enact the decision. They go back on it. Why? Because as you said, they didn't take ownership of yeah. it. And uh, if they come to that conclusion on their own, it's, it's easier and I think better, better for them. We could just be guides. We're like guide rails. You got Jim Collins in the book, Good to Great, of course, talked about a, a level five leader. I think he says leads people with these two things in mind, freedom and responsibility. You got to give people the freedom to do certain things, but the responsibility to keep them anchored. Yeah. And responsibility is the guardrails to that freedom. Almost like um, when we were talking a little bit earlier, I was thinking about the Garden of Eden, how when you were talking uh, about the artist and being counseled, about, uh, you know, an artist is not going to make any money. That, that was almost saying the only way to gain wealth is through a career. When, when God made Adam and Eve, he gave them a lot of right choices to make. Only one bad choice. You can eat off all of this other stuff. Just don't eat this one thing. And I think if we learn from things like that, that there is, as the old song was a more than one way to skin a cat, there's more than one way to solve this challenge, to solve this issue, then we could give everybody space to evolve in such a way where we could all we could all get along as they as they say it and really, really be happy and find the big thing is to really find meaning. Because mm. that's what the why gives you. When you find the why of your purpose, then you understand your life's Meaning. I'm not just doing something that's menial. I'm not just doing something that's mundane, but I really understand the meaning of this. I feel joy in this. I, I get, even if it's challenging, I feel rewarded in engaging this because now I know what it means. And I know what it means, not because someone gave me the answer, but because someone pro provided me with enough freedom to arrive at the answer myself. It's a simple thing to talk about. It's not easy to do, no. but it is one of those things where you can look at and go, huh? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like we should all do that more often. But along those lines, what sort of advice would you give to somebody on their path towards self-mastery? I would give them this advice. Give yourself the freedom to evolve. Hmm. Evolving is not rebelling. Evolving is you growing into who you were made to be. It is you continuing to give yourself space to develop, to change. And some of the hardest, well, really, I believe one of the hardest things a person can do is give themselves permission to evolve. I don't have to always be what I've always been. Mm -hmm. I can maintain my core values and continue to explore other avenues that doesn't change me to my core. It just may change how I express who I am at my core. I don't have to always be the lead guitarist. I don't always have to play for churches. I could do something else and still maintain my core values. I'll just find another way to express those core values. Why? Because I've evolved. Whether I'm talking at a radio station, doing a podcast, or YouTube. We didn't always have radio. We didn't always have YouTube. Didn't always have podcasts. But you're doing the same thing at your core because you gave yourself the space 
and grace to evolve. Beautiful way to be able to put that, man. I look, Anthony, I appreciate your time. I appreciate being on with us, getting into everything you've gotten into. Uh, Before I let you go, where can people find you and where can they connect with you? You can connect with me a few different ways. You can go to LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn at linkedin.com backslash IN backslash AA Dix Jr. I think that's how the, how the URL goes. Uh, the website for the company in which I serve is 180managementgroup.com. And if you'd like to connect at a different level, you can follow me on IG at AA Dix Jr. Awesome. And we'll have all that in the show notes. Again, Anthony, it was fantastic having you on. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Nick. This was a blessing, man. I appreciate it. This was good.